Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. My guest today is Bronwyn Perry Houston. She's currently a hands-on engineering manager slash technical lead at Cameo. Before that, she worked at a number of healthcare tech companies in California. The audio in this episode is a bit spotty at times due to Wi-Fi issues, so please bear with us. Welcome to the show, Bronwyn. How are you? I'm doing great. Really excited to chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for being here. Guest today is Bronwyn Perry Houston, uh, currently a engineering manager slash technical lead at Cameo, which is a very exciting company. Uh, and I think office is based in, well, I, I know a lot of Chicago-based folks, so there's also a lot of people in, in California as well. And then you've previously been a senior engineer at companies like Patient Pop and a whole slew of other places, I'm sure. Did I nail it? Correct. You nailed it. You nailed it. It's a great intro. Appreciate it. Great. Like you mentioned, uh, Cameo is a bit all over the place right now. <laughs> We've got fully remote. So LA, Chicago, we're all out there. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I, maybe you had a little bit of a leg up if you had multiple offices going into the last couple of years where <laughs> I think a lot of you were scrambled to figure it out, right? Definitely. Can you share some more insight into your team and kind of what, what the, the product um, and, and kind of the tech stack that, that's used internally at Cameo? Of course, of course. So Cameo itself has two main prongs. We've got our typical gifting core Cameo experience. That's what most individuals are the most familiar with. So it's the ability to have a magical moment where you can request a Cameo aka a video request from any of the tens of thousands of celebrities on our platform. It allows you the opportunity to really make someone's day and have an authentic connection formed. We also have the new portion of the company that we're really excited about, just focusing on giving fans and talent authentic new ways to actually interact together on our platform. So instead of buying something for someone else, Here's a way for you to have that genuine interaction with that individual. And that's a portion of the company I'm currently really focused on. My team in particular is the interactions team at Cameo. And we're focused on building out authentic new ways for fans and talent to have moments of magic together. We're specifically focused on synchronous video interactions. And we brought some really cool new products to market over the last year or so. One includes Cameo Calls, which is a synchronous video meet and greet product where you get a X amount of time FaceTime with talent and a special memorabilia at the end to save that moment forever. And then we're working on a new one-to-many video platform as well to give even more fans ways to interact with the talent that they care about. So it's really exciting. We've got a lot of different uh, aspects at play and we've been able to create some really genuine connection for everyone involved and like i mentioned my team is very involved in our mobile application but looking at the tech stack overall at cameo we're a react redux shop on web node on the back end mongodb and we have a react native web app react native application on the mobile side and we're building out more of our iOS and Android stack as well. 
So really exciting and a lot of great tech. Nice. That's really cool. I, it's been a few years since I talked to anyone from Cameo in depth and kind of heard about updates, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think any of that, that personalized calls was there. I think it was mostly just kind of the personalized messages, right? Um, when exactly. I was in recruiting, when I was trying to close candidates, sometimes I would send them cameos from like, if they mentioned a celebrity, they were interested in, right? Send them a cameo from that celebrity saying, Hey, you know, Taylor and the team's really excited about you. They're, surprisingly high success rate. So that was, uh, I loved it. Yeah, that is one of the perks of interviewing at Cameo, uh, secret part of your offer letter that might be revealing me secrets along the way, but you'll get the opportunity to get a Cameo from someone you, uh, you put forward beforehand. So get a little extra perk getting you roped in and accepting that offer. Nice. That's great. Uh, very cool. Well, um, these are new questions that I've been asking folks as they come into the show. I'm um, to try to give some more insight into people who, you know, are either looking for a new job or maybe they, they're looking for their first job in technology. Um, can you describe kind of your, your pathway into tech and how you got into tech? Yeah, of course. It's definitely not the typical flow, but it's a mix of the typical flow and not. So back in high school, uh, one of the typical kids that needed a random summer class while my parents were working and was lucky enough to live close enough sort of near JPL in LA area so we actually happened to have a retired JPL engineer at our like high school who just decided to put together a computer science class one summer and roped a bunch of kids into it so I managed to get roped in relatively early on in my life probably just before my senior year of high school and found that engineering and computer science was at least entertaining, but definitely wasn't something I wanted to do with my life. I was fully committed to pre-med, medical school, working in the medical space, specifically as an orthopedic surgeon. I was all in, fully committed. Wow. But as I was applying to colleges, had a few guidance counselors tell me that there's no way I could ever do both biology and computer science. So wouldn't be able to handle it. I'd be throwing away my career and would be doing a bad job in both. And of course that meant that I had to commit to it and do both. So proceeded to (laughs) over the next four years, uh, do double major in biology and computer science, go the pre-med route, took my MCATs, fully committed still only to medicine. I was doing computer science just because people, you know, said I couldn't and because I still found it interesting. Along the way, throughout all of my like biology labs and chemistry labs, always had the sort of leg up because I'd script things in order to do calculations versus just doing it all manually. So I had a few places where I still worked it into my daily life. And then post-college, I was saving up for med school and decided, oh, like, you know, my EMT job is great, but the engineering world probably enjoyed a bit more on the day-to-day and it'll help me save up faster for med school. So I got my first job, worked my way into it after a long summer of interviewing, and I fell in love with it and realized that I could not leave. So I ended up realizing that engineering wasn't just sort of working in a corner alone, working on a product by yourself or fixing bug tickets, and fell in love with like what it means to create a product and actually get that released to individuals and see the impact that you're making. And then now X many years later, 
still in love with it, still stuck around and it took over my love for medicine. So bit of a mixed path to get there, but it was really just the love of working on a team and building a cool product that's kept me in it. Nice. That's really cool. I, I, I haven't heard of a lot of people say I basically, I got into engineering to save up for med school, but that's, <laughs> that's, it happens. that's great. It happens. Uh, you, you know, what's really funny is I feel like I've heard so many people say a guidance counselor or a career, someone told me I couldn't do this so that I doubled down and did it. I almost so much to the point that I feel like that's what, like they're using reverse psychology. They're like, if I tell them they can't, right. You tell a young totally. person they can't do this thing. <laughs> they're going to make it happen. Right. 100%. That's funny. So, so what was your, you, you said basically you were working in EMT role and then I, stumbled into an engineering role or did you, you know, decide I'm, I'm going to start doing technical interviews at software companies or what was your first job? Yeah. So I was working as an EMT that, you know, had its own combination of, you know, long sets of hours and it just wasn't the thing I was interested in doing in the medical world. So it was a stepping stone, but I was really interested in going, you know, all in the other direction. So I was in a place where I was looking for a change and figured a lot of the other peers that I had that had moved on to software engineering roles post-college were actually all really enjoying it. So I sort of took that leap to say, you know, I'll give this a shot. Might as well make my degree worth something. I'll, you know, start looking around. And I was lucky enough as well that some of my best friends in the entire world post-college were both ended up as tech recruiters. So they sort of pulled me into the space saying, you know, might as well just let us like start hooking you up with companies. <laughs> Might as well start talking to some other people. So got pulled into the space and ended up just reaching out and looking on a variety of job boards and just sort of poking around and doing that typical large question mark of, I'm a brand new engineer. I have no clue what I want. I know what I don't want. I knew off the bat, wasn't really interested in the larger spots like Google or the Facebooks of the world just mm -hmm. wasn't the vibe I was looking for at that point in time, but had absolutely no idea what I actually wanted. And I forget exactly how I ended up getting in contact with the specific company that I ended up joining, but ended up, I think it was through a job board or maybe some other ad or recruiter conversation, but ended up hearing about this innovation labs as part of a larger company, CoreLogic, that I joined at the time. So this is taking a public company that had thousands and thousands of employees. And the specific role was within their innovation labs in Santa Monica. So they were partnered with a consulting company, Pivotal, who had really exciting, newer, test-driven development, pair programming uh, practices. And it was just a really exciting opportunity. So I managed to somehow pass the interview and make it through. And I was just all in on wanting to try out that environment. So I fell in love with the marketing of it. Don't remember how I originally found it, but then committed to it and fell in love. Yeah, I mean, that must be a pretty, well, I guess if you're coming from, from, you know, right into the back of an ambulance, uh, maybe, you know, pair programming with Pivotal Labs folks is, is uh, comparatively not as intense, but I could imagine that'd be an intense first engineering role. Yeah, I mean, 
I've said this to many others throughout my life. And I think number one, that role and being able to pair and work that closely with other individuals, especially senior individuals and individuals who just cared about the people they're working with, I think is the number one reason I was able to advance quickly in my career. Mm. Just had that amazing level of mentorship from the get-go and the ability to be dropped into hard problems from day one. So if you're pairing, you don't get, as a junior engineer, stuck on the one-off coffee changes or bug tickets. You're dropped day one into, here's the actual hard problem we're solving. Here's the system architecture meetings. Maybe you don't contribute at first, but you're at least able to soak it all up and help work through things. So although it was straight into the deep end, uh, reflecting on it, I think it served me better than ever could have imagined. Yeah, that's awesome. And and how did you, uh, what led you to, to Cameo here? I know you've been there several years now, right? Uh, almost a year and a half. So not an incredibly long time, but in Cameo years, a long time now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before Cameo was working at Patient Pop, which is a medical adjacent startup in the practice growth space. And I worked with an individual who had at one point moved on to Cameo. So he ended up referring me over. And as I was looking uh, for my next opportunity, I was really looking for a company that could be in the consumer focused space that wasn't actually based off of ad revenue and was able to bring something exciting to the world. So Cameo ticked a lot of boxes. The fact that the core product, the marketplace product is self-sustaining without needing to do shady marketing practices or collect a ton of data from its users, et cetera, or sell a ton of data about its users, any of those combinations. So it checked all of those boxes like ethically for me. And then I was really excited about the actual magical moments that was created. I think a few weeks before I reached out to my friend who was over at Cameo, uh, a friend of mine had actually bought a Cameo for another friend in their group. And the individual just crushed it. It's like a $20 person from Love Island. And it was the funniest thing in the entire (laughs) world and just amazing. So I had that like brief moment of joy to pull me in as well. And then reached out to the individual that worked with really closely and highly respected and he only had amazing things to say about cameo so then reached out and was able to get pulled in and made it through the process nice that's great and and have you been doing technical interviews currently for your team yeah i'm deeply involved with uh technical interviewing at cameo it's something that i'm really passionate about and have been really involved with at patient pop and other companies in the past as well i see it as like a core part of everyone's job is to really contribute to the future of the company and the culture Mm -hmm. that we're building. So at Cameo, relatively early on, got involved in technical interviewing across the board, then also got involved with our hiring working group, which is a small group of us that are taking a sort of holistic look at our interview process, writing a whole slew of new questions, training up new interviewers, et cetera, all of that. So do a lot of interviews every week and really excited to continue to iterate on that at Cameo and get it to the best and uh, smoothest process for candidates out there. 
if you have a whole team that actually tries to iterate and improve on the process, I think you already got a leg up on, <laughs> on a lot of companies, right? So. Yeah, we try, we try. That's great. So what are you typically evaluating for during technical interviews? Yeah, I think this is something that depends on the individual slightly. So although we look to standardize as much as humanly possible uh, in order to give every candidate a really fair shot, especially within each of their pipelines and specific portion of each interview. I think there's always that human aspect that does vary per person. While we're in any technical interview, we're looking for your base technical skills. Like, can you check off the check boxes that were potentially on your resume? If we're doing something in JavaScript and every bit of syntax is failing you, and you're just really struggling to get going, you know, there's some questions we'll have to talk through later on. So there's the base technical aspects. And then depending on the role and level, really look into, can we get into the deeper aspects of what you'll be bringing to the team? So can you solve the problem, but can you highlight what makes you special and what your expertise is in? Could be your enthusiasm, could be your excitedness to learn about X particular thing, could be that you're a really product-focused engineer and you care a lot about the product as a whole. And I think there's so many different ways for those soft skills to be highlighted in technical interviews, even the most rigid ones. So there's a lot that, for me, is the most exciting part to look on, is all those other layers on top of just, can you solve the basic question? Can you, you know, make it through the basis of the problem? And more, can you show it be like, for me to work with you and how you mm. solve problems and what you bring to the team. I think that's a, a very common trend um, throughout guests who've been on the show is, is saying it's not just about, can you solve the problem? Right. And it's, and I think so much so where they've had folks who, you know, they solve the problem in five, 10 minutes, but that's it. And then you're done. Right. And, and there's not really mm -hmm. any conversation and there's not really communication throughout. And that person might not even pass the interview versus someone who doesn't actually solve the problem maybe a hundred percent, but they're able to communicate effectively across the, throughout the process. And then that's a much clearer indication of if that person should be a good fit on your team versus just, oh, they probably saw that question before, right? They had some idea of, mm -hmm. you know, how to solve this individual problem, right? 100%. I think one thing that definitely stands out along those lines is, can the individual come up with a holistic approach? Like, can they come up with a plan? Because day to day, it's very rare working within at least Cameo and most other startup type environments. It's very rare that you'd ever receive a ticket with every possible corner case and every possible instruction mapped out in advance and every possible edge case to the point that you're just, you know, typing the instructions there in the ticket and you're just the code monkey out there, you know, getting something into the system. So it's really rare that you just asked to sort of solve a problem that might already be solved. Mm. So it's really interesting and most important part in my mind to see how someone can take the prompt and then break it apart and talk through, here's what I need to know. Here's how I'm planning on solving this. Maybe we won't get to all of it, but that's less important. Here's how I would. It's just a matter of time for me to get there. Mm. Not a question of if I could do it, it's just when. It's just, I'm a slow typer. It's fine. You know, 
And if you can really establish that from the get-go, just like you were saying, that's often more important than actually solving the problem. Yeah. One of the, I mean, it's just very easy for me to see what I'm pairing with, with my lead at work currently. If there's a problem that I think of, I have to solve this immediate problem. He is often thinking of, yes, we need to solve that problem, but also what else, what else could occur, right. That we need to plan mm -hmm. for now. And I'll be like, great, we're done. And they will be like, well, what about this? And I'll be like, Oh boy, now we're back in. Right. He's, he's got four or five things he's already thinking of. And that's just based off of, you know, he's done it for a significant period of time and is able to look at something like you said, holistically, rather than just here's one <laughs> specific thing we need to fix. Right. And I think one interesting piece there too, that I can go on for hours about is around the importance of seeing that larger context. Hmm. What I find for engineers on my team and across other teams at Cameo and at other companies, the ones who are the most successful are often able to take that extra context, whether it's engineering context of being able to say, here's where I see the scaling problems in five years, but here's how we can walk it back to what we actually might have to care about. So we're not boiling the ocean right now, but here's how we're at least looking forward a little bit. And the same way with product context of saying, Here's the milestone we're building towards on the front end side or within this scope of the MVP, but here's everything we want to do in the future. We don't have to build for it right now, but being able to look and say, here's how we don't box ourselves into a corner. And it's that same level of holistic thinking, taking a step back and looking at the different iterations you might not want to go in. Doesn't mean making everything an interface and uh, taking things to the most generic level, but being able to find that middle ground and the more you can show that off in an interview that helps show off the level of seniority as well. And that's really important in being able to judge, did someone solve a problem, but did they solve it at, you know, a senior staff level mm. or was it very surface level? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, I know you've been there for, you know, about a year and a half now. Um, so it's been a little while, but how, in the past, how do you feel that you did in technical interviews? You know, did you love technical interviews when you were the interviewee, hate them somewhere in between? I hate them more than anything. It's definitely <laughs> a love hate relationship. I think throughout my career, as I've done more of them as an interviewer, it's definitely improved my skills as an interviewee because I oh, see day in, day out, what candidates are doing well, what stands out and what I remember about them in my mind. And it's given me the ability to sort of shift my own interview skill set and how I present myself to different interviewers, especially depending on the section. That said, I hate with a passion any of the interviews that rely on that rote memorization or that you're expected to study X amount of time in advance. And I've actively throughout my career aggressively stayed away from companies that rely on those benchmarks as, you know, part of the core interview process. So I've self-selected for interview processes that uh, lean a lot more towards, we're looking at you as a person, we're looking at how you'd fit into the team and how your skill set can drive to that. And over the years, I've just gotten more confident with how I can communicate those aspects within each interview, especially back in schema design or system design interviews that can be a bit more broad. Yeah. Yeah. 
Interesting. That that actually makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know. Well, I think it's sometimes difficult to gauge, right? If you're just interviewing generally, right? Is this company going to have mm. more elite, elite, elite code style questions and just looking for a body to fit onto a team after, you know, they make an offer or mm. are they looking for a specific person with a specific skill set that might be me, right? For this team. And I don't know. I think the larger the company gets, maybe the the more likely you are to run into mm. those, those um, just algorithm based questions. But yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting position to be in. And I think a lot of people are in a similar boat as yourself, right? Where they don't necessarily want to go through that kind of pointless grind just to maybe end up on an interesting team at the end, right? That they might get along with. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, and I think for my own personality, it just matches a lot more with the type of companies that are on the smaller side and have that opportunity to look for the person who's going to come and make an impact. That's I'm looking to do it in the company I'm at. Yeah. Great. Do you have a system to break down technical questions? Let's say you're in a, in a situation where you go, oh, I don't know. You know, I've been presented with a, a, a question in the interview. I don't know what to do at this point, right? Um, what is your process from, from there? Pretty typical to start off is really leaning into defining the question. This mm -hmm. isn't always to push for hints or anything like that, but you'll often just build a significant larger amount of context to at least give you a place to start. So I'll pick a direction and try to figure out where I can shine or show something different about myself. So if it's a really broad problem, I'll even state to the interviewer, I'm going to ignore this other part that I want to come back to and narrow my focus to start just here. So that's a coding portion. That means I'll find the smallest potential module and start there to gather more information and build up from there. But it's really about that first iteration of defining the question and at least laying out part of my holistic approach. And part of that approach might be, here's the parts I don't know yet. And I'm blocking it out as I want to come back to this. I'm going to figure it out. But I think there's a black box here. So really leaning into defining the black boxes, making it seem like I have a plan, even if it's not all there. So at least starting to put it together. And you can sort of do that divide and conquer. And I think the more transparent you are, especially during coding specific interviews or even technical and system design questions, the better. Because you can really start to lay out where you might want some guidance of where the interview wants you to go. And you can give opportunities to dive deep or share decision making opportunities that then give you the ability to show seniority or other experiences. So being able to talk through, don't know which I want to go with yet, but here's the three different options I'm thinking of. And here's the potential trade-offs. Is there a recommendation based off of, you know, X, Y, Z, other constraint of the problem that could help me with making this decision? So use a lot of those skills in order to try to work my way through a problem if I have absolutely no idea where to go. And I think throughout that process, you can hopefully highlight the way that you would unblock yourself if you were to be on a team and faced with something that you didn't know, which is often at least something positive that they can take out of the interview. Yeah. Nice. So defining the problem is big and then also making sure you're able to piece it apart at least to a point where you know one where to start and then two the pieces you don't know and even 
going as far as calling that out. So the interviewer knows, okay, you know, she's going to come back to that. Um, but we're starting here. And while you're, you know, the, those initial chunks, you know how to solve or have some plan towards, you can showcase the skills that, that you, you're assuming that they're looking for, right. Of actually being able to problem solve and being able to talk through this, and communicate effectively. That makes a lot of sense. Correct. Yeah. And I think the number one Good. piece there as well is, especially if it's a coding question, get some code running to start as soon as possible. That's a number one piece as well, because then it gives you something to build off of and doesn't allow the opportunity at the end of the interview for someone to say, well, they never were able to get anything running. If you start yeah. small and build up, you can at least highlight portions of the problem you're able to succeed with. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's there's sometimes a... Um, Maybe folks go too far when they start defining the problem or start pseudocoding and then you don't actually get into, you know, writing anything and you just have conversations. And I think that that's been echoed on the show several times from folks saying you just need a little bit more, you need to end with something, right? So your interviewer's feedback mm -hmm. wasn't, well, we had a good conversation, but there was no code, right? They didn't actually run anything. So that makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense. And I think that's maybe tough for folks it's easy to keep talking about things if you don't know how to solve it rather than actually diving in and trying to do something right exactly yeah um do you have any any advice or tips for engineers um any other advice or tips for engineers that are going into technical interviews yeah i'd say the number one piece is really nailing your elevator pitch so in most technical interviews every individual is going to start you off by giving you the opportunity to at least briefly talk through your resume or share something about yourself, they already know all that information. They've all seen your resume before. They've seen it in advance. It's just sort of the icebreaker to get you talking, do intro rounds. The more you can decide what you want to highlight and nail that, the better. And one piece of that as well is becoming more common to, for recruiters to share who you're going to be interviewing with in advance. You'll see their LinkedIn mm -hmm. profiles. You'll have the opportunity to do a little bit of homework. And then you can tweak your pitch as well and give you the opportunity to have like an exciting first conversation. So if you see the individual that you're interviewing with is a backend engineer who's worked on microservice architecture and event-driven systems, highlight anything in your career specifically for me, I would highlight event-driven systems I've built and specifically call out infrastructure work I've done around that. And then that allows for that first question before you even jump into anything technical, you'll normally get a follow-up question because you're leaning into something they're excited about. They want to learn more about the thing that they're interested in that you've done. And it gets you off to that like initial starting point and gives you conversation starter to show some depth and show and not necessarily fully just tell on your resume all your experience so you can really prove out hey here's the thing that i put on my resume that you saw here i can talk to it so you actually believe it and then what already mentioned when you actually jump into the interview taking the step back developing a plan but then committing to something and actually moving forward with it so you don't just in end up in that like constant analysis paralysis. I've seen it equally fine to create a plan and acknowledge its uh, drawbacks versus 
constantly going back and forth between the perfect solution. Finding something and committing tends to serve you reasonably well. Nice. Great. That's fantastic advice. I mean, and yeah, I, in the recruiting world, I, I always say you can ask the recruiter, you can always ask for more information than, than they might have given you initially, especially if it's an external recruiter, you don't know what they might have. They might go as far as give you all the questions mm. that they know that the company asks. Um, internal recruiters at the very least should be able to give you an idea of like, who are you interviewing with and what do they typically ask about or, or what is ideally going to be the focus of the conversation, right? And like, ask, right? You never know until you ask and hopefully you can get the study guide rather than just going in blind, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. Do, do you have different advice or the same advice for early career engineers? Mostly the same, but I would say really lean into showing potential. More often than not, especially if you're really early in your career, no one expects you to be able to solve the same, you know, level of depth of problem. And it's common that at a lot of companies, they won't necessarily have a completely separate interview for a super junior engineer. So probably get the same question that they give to senior engineers. They're just expecting you, maybe you'll wow them and be able to make it through all of it. Most likely not. So at that case, it becomes, how can you show potential, show your ability to try to work your way through the problem and your ability to ask for hints and be honest when you're blocked and then really respond to that feedback. So the number one case is trying to show potential wherever possible, show thoughts you might have, even if they're wrong, to find a preface with, I don't know if this is right, but I have this thought about how we might scale. It might be interesting to do a push versus pull model. You don't have to know necessarily what you're talking about, but showing that you might be able to have those other thoughts is still really useful. And along those lines, it can also show that you're really hungry to learn. And if you ask you know, the interviewer for more information about X topic, probably willing to like give you something and help move you along the way. And then the final part of that, especially as a more junior engineer, is really listen for any potential you know, guidance or tips or prodding the interviewer is giving you along the way, they'll likely give you something. And if you can really actively listen to that, show you're actively listening and respond appropriately, that shows that you're super coachable and will likely be a good fit on someone's team because they can trust that you'll learn and grow. You're looking to move forward with it. And they can trust that you'll respond appropriately. So really highlighting those skills. Yeah, that's great. It, it's been, I guess, shocking is the right right word in the past when I've been in interviews and I know that I've been given hints, but I couldn't like do something with it necessarily in the moment or like I tried and I couldn't quite figure out exactly what they were leaning towards, mm-hmm. right? And then afterwards, I usually try to go solve that problem, right? I like spend some time actually figuring out the solution to that and follow up with the interviewer. And almost 100% of the time, I go back and I look and I'm like, oh, that's what they meant or that's what they were mm-hmm. alluding to, right? And I just didn't, mm-hmm. wasn't quite able to pick it up in the moment. But yeah, I, I think especially if you're getting stuck and you're not asking questions, often interviews will go, Oh, what about this thing? Right. Like, have you 
have you thought about this? Right. And like, usually that means I'm doing everything shy of telling you the actual answer, right? This is where you should focus. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And whether tip along those lines too, especially for junior engineers, they're stuck and are looking for extra guidance along those lines. If you don't remember a data structure or can't think of what to do often, a lot of these tests are like open book to be able to Google something for syntax. Google the syntax and look up the standard, you know, data structures for that language. There's probably a lot there and at least get your brain chugging and we'll show same way that you're learning and growing, show the interviews, interviewer that you're listening to their feedback and looking up appropriate other materials and getting yourself unblocked. So a lot there about just finding subtle ways to pull hints from people and see what they light up on. Yeah, I think it's becoming more common now where interviewers say you can Google during this, right? If you don't know a, a specific thing, you can Google. And it's just mm-hmm. great. Uh, I think a lot helpful when I, you know, my mind goes blank and I'm like, I don't know how to write an array. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay, let me yeah. real quick. Uh Great. Before we move into the, you know, take a break and then move into the, the technical interview portion. Do you have any personal interviewing horror stories um, that, that you're willing to share? Uh, maybe to, to humble yourself and, and have something the folks could relate to? Definitely a few. I mean, there's, I'm lucky to not have interviewed an insane amount as, you know, someone joining a few companies. I've been lucky throughout my career to be able to be referred a number of different places, all of that to have, you know, a bit of a smoother process. That said, there are some technical system design interviews that just keep me up at night where, <laughs> especially given a broad problem, I just froze 100%. I was like, my brain just completely turned off. I forget what the content of the question was. There might have been think the same thing happened for a schema design one as well, where the only thing popping into my brain was, all right, we'll probably have to do some joins here. We'll need to make some tables, <laughs> but nothing else is coming into my brain right now. And it was, uh, you know, you just have to sort of laugh it off and move forward and find ways to move around it, chalk it up as an L and go from there. But luckily, I think beyond that, had some that haven't always gone my way, but been good opportunities to see it as a blind spot and find a way to move forward. But had those yeah, few I, opportunities or my brain just nothing. <laughs> I think that's happened a couple of times on this show to me, especially early on. <laughs> it was just, oh boy. <laughs> uh, well, great. Uh, well, let's take a break. Uh, and then when we come back, um, balls in your court, uh, we'll move into the, the technical portion. Perfect. Sounds great. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode. So be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.